This hot, this the spot, there it is, pod.com. We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them. We're talking about life and life to stream right to you from the microphone right to your home, dude. Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo, because there it is. Welcome to the There It Is Podcast, a comedy podcast for creators of any variety. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. Thanks so much for listening again, or for the first time. Listen, I can't blame anybody for coming back. When you have a theme song this funky to listen to, you're going to come back. It is the funkiest theme song of any comedy podcast and I will die on that hill. But seriously, thanks for listening. Fun episode today. Episode 92. I can't believe it. It's a great companion episode to last week's with Lindsay Cat. And speaking of last week's episode, Lindsay Cat gave me some homework. But listen, I have not gotten around to it yet. That homework was to immerse myself in something I haven't already been associated with or something I'm not currently associated with. And I just don't know what that thing is yet. And haven't had a chance to go and immerse myself in it. But I will do it and I will report back to you because it's really a good homework assignment. I'm really looking forward to that. I'm also looking forward to sharing today's guest with you. He's fantastic. One of my favorite performers in the city. His name is Charlie Nicholson. He's at the Magnet Theater. He's on three different teams there. And he's so great. We have a really good conversation. Let's just jump right into it now. Here's my chat with Charlie Nicholson. Let's just set the table for listeners who maybe don't have the pleasure of getting to see you because they don't live here. I know I have a lot of listeners who don't live in New York. Where did you come from? Where are you from? I'm from Pomfret, Connecticut. So that's in the northeast of the state, as far away from New York, where we're (laughs) recording this podcast, as uh, you can go. Mm -hmm. Uh, Very small, rural town. Mm -hmm. Lots of farms. How close is it to Bristol? That was like the only area in New Haven. That's the only area of Connecticut I've been. Yeah, that's like an hour, an hour and a half. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And how long have you been in New York? Uh, It's 2018, so six years. Okay. Five and a half years, almost six. I get the impression, and this is something that I experienced with most of the people who live in New York who I've interviewed. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, they did. They've been performing their whole life. You know, like they started in high school doing something. Uh, and I get that impression with you as well because of your stage performance. How long have you been doing this? When did you get your start in in performing? Uh, yeah. So if, um, it goes all the way back to when I was a really young kid. There was a community theater organization called Kids on Broadway. Oh. <laughs> Uh, that did uh, they did musicals they did like Broadway number review shows where it would just be all the songs like one after the other (laughs) so everything from like the Lion King to like Cabaret um, and they'd mix up and cast like different people to sing these different songs Uh Um, and then just and then they did some more like straight plays but more like fun fantasy like Sleeping Beauty Mm -hmm. or um Let's see, well, Pinocchio, <laughs> stuff like that. And they yeah. did that at like a local um, local boarding school's theater, the Pomfret School uh-huh. in their theater. So that was sort of where I got the theater start. Yeah. And did that just stay up until you moved to New York and started doing improv and stuff here? Or was there any sort of break in, in your performing? 
Um, well, I guess from there, let's see. Uh, I think I took a break from... Oh, no, I started doing theater at the local like the more like downtown theater called the Bradley Theater in Putnam, which is the town over. It did more like adult sort of plays. So Mm -hmm. I I remember I did, let's see, I did a a production of the Laramie Project there one summer. And I think I did a couple other things, but that was when I was in seventh and eighth grade. And then I went to boarding school in Massachusetts Mm -hmm. where I did theater all the time, theater and art, like after school. So I had a theater program at the Governor's Academy Mm -hmm. uh, where I lived for four years. Um, and the same, we did like musicals, we did Marat Saad or like hair there in high school, uh, or or also plays. So I I remember, let's see, we did like Brighton beach memoirs, (laughs) stuff like that. Um, and then, um, after high school, I spent a year in Wales. I went on an exchange program and Mm -hmm. I also did theater at the school that I was at in Brecon. Mm -hmm. We did like, God, I think like Oliver or something. Some, I, I can't believe I can't remember. Some play, they did theater while there. Uh-huh. And then it was a theater major, major in college. When okay. I came back to the States, I went to Vassar College. So you really compressed a lot in that time period before even college. You really were doing a lot of professional level stuff, really, it sounds like. I mean, especially to go to Wales and get this new perspective in, in performing and theater. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean professional in the sense that I was doing it all the time like it was a job but I wasn't didn't make money off of it but yeah but it wasn't like I mean not to throw any shade at school uh, theater by (laughs) any any means but I do mean that when you you said you went to you went to the next town over and you're performing at a theater there yeah Uh, that that sounds like for a high school kid as big as you can get yeah, it was the. I mean, it was, it was still living at home. Right, right. I mean, there was not more, famous yeah. big, but just like right. the level of what you can yeah. have access to. Uh, that's that's a, a higher level than what most kids can get. You know, most teenagers don't get to do it outside of theater. Well, maybe not most kids, but a lot of kids don't. I mean, I remember when I was coming through, there wasn't that much opportunity to go and do adult plays. You know, yeah. like it was just school place. That was your opportunity. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, it was it was really cool that we had that theater in town or yeah. in the town next door in Putnam, right? Um, because it was like an old an old theater, and it had like the marquee outside. It was like fancy, <laughs> even though it was kind of falling apart inside. Uh-huh. Um, it was really cool to have that in town. I mean, not every town has like a, a right. theater like that that regularly has a season, right? Even in a small, small, very rural. Uh, community like I lived in um, and and the the kids program the kids on Broadway thing was really awesome because it made available to lots of kids in the community the opportunity to to try that out like yeah. I remember even when I was very little and I was just in the chorus or just sort of like on stage I remember I, I, I mentioned Sleeping Beauty I didn't think I don't think I even had a speaking part in that play <laughs> I played like the captain of the of the ship that carries the witch at one point it was like the the play version of Sleeping Beauty not like uh-huh. the uh not like the Disney movie. So it almost like reminds me of like Nosferatu when the oh, witch wow. is being brought okay. on a yeah. boat somewhere trying to find the princess. Anyway, um, I was in the back just like with a big wheel. And I think I, I, I had that wheel in my bedroom after we brought it home, this big blue like, like a ship wheel, you know, like a pirate ship. 
Um, but it was really cool for me because even though I wasn't like the star of the show, I was right. still involved yeah. in this really cool theatrical world, learning about yeah. what that was like, you know, learning to get to my place, <laughs> place during places and have a costume and everything. How did that influence your philosophies with performance? Um, I, or like I, all of that experience from like through college? Yeah, I guess I just always have thought that it is a very important, well, it's obviously very important for me to, mm-hmm. to do. Like I, I feel very happy and connected to people, whether, you know, like castmates or uh, the larger community around the show, the crew, mm-hmm. the director or, or producers or everyone like that, but also the audience. I think it's a really wonderful way for um, for people and communities to bond and to mm-hmm. like just experience together one another. Like, um, and I made a lot of friends through the theater and mm-hmm. I continue to do that. That is continues to be a really important aspect of it. But I think it also teaches us a lot, you know, just having sure. the experience of playing a, a character who's different than you're, than you are, or we're seeing uh, a story that's different than what your normal life is like is mm-hmm. a really important thing. Um, and plus I've always loved the idea of like going to the theater. I don't think I've ever had this experience, but like, you know, you go out maybe like, like in movies, like people go to the opera and they mm-hmm. see like the, the creme de la creme of society is like out and what is everyone wearing? Uh-huh. Um, I think we have like a very, uh, judgmental sort of like shallow, um, association with that sort of theater world. Mm-hmm. But I also think it's very lovely cause it is, uh, really, these people are, we're really seeing each other and looking at each other and noticing each other. And I think that is an important part of like a theatrical world to be oh, noticed yeah. and to notice other people. That's very interesting. I like that a lot. We'll talk more about that uh, sort of philosophy stuff. I also want to catch people up to what you're doing in New York. So yeah. um, you moved to New York, and did you immediately start taking classes at Magnet, or were you somewhere else first, or what What was your performance like at that point? Yeah, great. So I was studying theater and film in college, and mm-hmm. then a lot of my friends were moving to New York City after that because mm-hmm. there's a lot going on right. in those industries in the city. So, yeah, I moved down. And at first I was just sort of looking to do plays and I did a series of, of, of plays in the city at different, uh, you know, different locations at different theaters and I was auditioning a little bit, but mostly figuring out how to live in the city. Mm-hmm. And I think my first winter that I was here, uh, my friend said to me, like, try improv. I'm doing, I'm taking improv classes. A lot of my other classmates uh, from Vassar were, were doing improv and continue to do it now which is always exciting to see them in the community but um yeah i was like okay i'm really scared of this thing i love having a script i love knowing what i'm supposed to say i love you know sets and props and costumes and everything Mm -hmm. but um i was like nervous about it i had auditioned for improv teams in college and never never gotten on Uh, but um but i did it anyway (laughs) i mean it's easier to get into a class than onto a team of like five people in college so i did it and um yeah, I started at UCB and I was um, and I was like into it and excited. I had Shannon O'Neill for oh, my yeah, level yeah, one class, yeah. who was great. She was right. really fun. Um, and then from there, a friend recommended the Magnet and said mm-hmm. the Magnet is um, is also improv, but it feels like improv more like your style or your speed. Mm-hmm. It's more mm-hmm. like I think they said it's more actor like improv or, see that, yeah. or character mm-hmm. based improv which yeah. definitely I think still resonates the idea that it's uh, you're improvising and really paying close attention to who the characters are in the scene mm-hmm. um, yeah and from my first class that I took with Rick Andrews I was like okay yeah okay now I'm really excited about this yeah. and 
Yeah, and I have been ever since. And I guess that was what, like five years ago? It was about a year into my time in the city. So yeah, five years ago and still going strong. Um, yeah, and from there I just took you know as many classes as I could um, and loved it. I can really see that uh, why someone suggested that to you with the philosophies at, at Magnet plus your style of play. I mean, it really is sort of like a, a theater sort of approach and this very artistic sort of approach to what you do. Um, so you are on currently three teams, just so the audience knows. You're currently on three teams at Magnet. You're mm-hmm. on a house team uh, that's an improv team and a house team that's a musical improv team, and you're on a sketch team, which is a Friday night show sketch team, um, which is... You know, all of that, having those three teams, that's a you know, BFD, you know, like that's what they say, you know, that's, that's pretty impressive. Um, and uh, I think you were one of the first people I saw perform, uh, or at least pretty early on of my moving here a little over a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw you perform a bunch, and regardless of what it was we saw you doing, there was always this sort of through line of, being really in the moment and and uh, connecting the way you do, I think it's it's uh, really a testament to your theater background. Uh, but it's it's really great to watch. It's a really fun thing to watch. Um, Thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. Yeah, one thing that really sticks out about your performance is is I think it's like instantly fun. And I would say especially when someone else is the one who uh, starts giving some sort of fun thing to do, you latch on to it and go for it, and it's almost like it was your idea, you know what I mean? Or like it was a pl- watching a play and it was written out to be that way, because there's no hesitation between the two moments of somebody else bringing up this thing and then you playing that thing. I think how instantly that happens is what's so exciting and fun about the way you perform on stage essentially like supporting and yes anding your scene partner but in the way that yes anding is actually meant not the way it's come to be used Uh, a lot of times especially people who don't do improv but they've heard yes and they think it's literally just like say yes and then and and so it's this big like mechanical thing but you're actually connecting with the person can you speak to that a little bit about what those moments are like it's probably subconscious at this point for you but like what got you to that level of just being able to jump right in without it having to be a conscious decision to yes and sure yeah well thank you for that oh that's, yeah you're welcome. very nice um i uh i guess what's really exciting for me about we've talked about theater but mm-hmm. also about improv as like a theatrical variation on on like my past history of theater is um, is like letting what's going on be really real. Mm-hmm. Um, so the you know the, the the context or like the the, the they say like the who what where of, of where you are, but just mm-hmm. what your team or your scene partner is saying, letting that feel really real mm-hmm. is I think the most exciting thing about theater or about improv. Yeah. Um, being and, affected by. Yeah. What happened? And that, and I think for that first step of just letting it, just taking it, taking it on. Mm-hmm. So um, that's that's I think the yes part with yes and is is really trying to believe what's going on is really real, mm-hmm. and I think that's really exciting. Um, getting lost in 
even if it's just that first uh, initiation from my scene partner or mm-hmm. or an idea that I have, trying my best to um, kind of forget that we're on stage or we're in a show and and be those people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the that's the yes part. It's just like yeah, okay, whatever you just said is, is starting to like lay down the foundation of what the scene is about, mm-hmm. and I want to go there immediately and live in that place and try to. And then try to re- react, like you said, and respond right. to you know what is happening there. Right. And it feels very magical. Yeah. It feels very like very playful and mm-hmm. very um, exciting to see what will happen if you go to a new place. I think uh-huh. people talk about going. I remember I, I, I recently went to I think it was um, the Signature Theater, and they had this installation on the wall that had polled people about why they go to the theater is it mm-hmm. escape is it to educate yourself is it to learn is it to challenge yourself um, and I love that idea of escaping in the theater and yeah. uh, uh, like we do with any kind of art or any interest I think that we have in the world allows us to change up break up the monotony of our life by uh, by experiencing something surprising and, and unplanned for. So when you uh, jump into a scene when if all day long, we're actually meeting right now in my classroom on the Upper East Side, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm working with teenagers all day long talking oh, about well. the SAT, talking mm-hmm. about like schoolwork. That's where we're actually having this podcast right now. But <laughs> right. when I go down to the theater, then I can, you know, be those people who I was talking about before, right. who are, <laughs> yeah. you know, like uh, the creme de la creme coming into, you know, <laughs> I pretend that I'm a very wealthy person with a big feather on my hat, yeah. you know, going out for a stroll <laughs> at the opera. And uh, that breaks up my life and my day to be mm-hmm. able to um, live something different, mm-hmm. to really live that and to really feel the pleasure that comes from being that different person or, you know, like, I don't know, that's, that's just what excites me the most is, yeah. is going there. It's like the magic school bus. It is. And it's, I'm trying to figure out how to get there. You know, like what is, if someone was going to plot a course to get there, they're not doing that sort of stuff yet and they want to get there. Where is the road to getting there? Because obviously some of it is just like tearing down emotional walls or whatever, whatever blocks are up that uh, keep us from being vulnerable. But then like we're not necessarily talking about vulnerability right now or on this authenticity it's more yeah. of like dropping self and being someone else in a true sense and just taking on this thing and the fun that is yeah i mean i the the thing that comes up in my mind right now in order to get there is to really intensely practice sort of uh looking into other people's eyeballs yeah i, I okay. think like um uh, like staring at other people and um to the place where it's like uncomfortable but not like dangerous like um right, right. Y- you don't want to like scare other people right, you don't want to make them uncomfortable or, or feel weirded out but it's right but with an improviser yeah. you're, you're hoping that like the intention here is to mm-hmm. be really like close and open yeah. in that way and connect for and and gen like in a genuine way yeah and if that's mm-hmm. something that is slightly uncomfortable mm-hmm. i think that is like kind of like the first step is finding something that does feel a little bit like weird mm-hmm. but holding on to that sense of like this is weird mm-hmm. in a good way like i think that is like the the wind in your sails to like begin to travel because you're 
you get like an adrenaline rush a little bit mm -hmm. and you like wake up in a way that you maybe haven't been all day long when you're trying to shut off on the subway or, you know, commuting right. through the city is about not um, being affected by other people and not right. sort of extending or offering yourself to other people. And there's just like wall that comes up. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's like that eye contact thing. And, and from there, maybe other physical interactions, like really listening to somebody else's body or affecting them with yours mm -hmm. um, in a way that's again, like safe uh, for the theater. Oftentimes we're working with people who have signed up to, to play in that way. Mm -hmm. um, uh, that's the, those are the steps that I would take. Just yeah. take, taking, you know, like baby steps towards making yourself feel slightly uncomfortable, letting yourself feel slightly right. uncomfortable, or um, maybe- Surrounding yourself with people who are trying to do that same thing you're trying to do. Yeah, and then giving yourself permission, I think, to, um, to interact with them more than you mm -hmm. usually interact with people. Oh, interesting. There's some story that I heard about Stephen Colbert when he was still in Chicago and at Second City and learning about performance and, and improv. And I heard that he would, just in his everyday life, would do things that were awkward, yeah. you know, that was going to draw attention to himself, that would be very uncomfortable to go through so that he could just be comfortable in that sort of moment. Yeah, that awkward sort of, I don't want to keep doing this, or I don't want this atmosphere around me anymore. And I, I didn't hear any examples about it because it wasn't him telling the story. It was someone who came up after him. They didn't say. They gave like a fake example of like walking across the street really slow in a really uh, weird sort of way, <laughs> so that everyone around is just getting angry. <laughs> you know, yeah. like that was the sort of example he gave. Yeah. But that was just like a, again a fake example. I don't know if Colbert ever did that. But I think that does make you more comfortable. I have heard Stephen Colbert talk about a thing that he learned in Chicago was to learn to love the bomb. Where yeah. you're just like, everything's going horribly on stage, but you're still comfortable. And that you even love those moments as much as you love it when it's going well. And I think that, that sort of comfortability uh, in any sort of position, especially the awkward positions, can certainly help in regards to what you're talking about, about connecting with somebody in a real way, making eye contact, which is harder to do than people may realize because, I don't know, it's probably been a while since you've been in a class with someone who's starting out or just getting used to this whole thing of performing, but so many people in classes, uh, when you make eye contact with them, they immediately avert their eyes. You know, yeah. they, like they don't want to look at it. They don't want that uncomfortable like connection with another human. And I think it is kind of a bigger thing or a bigger problem in a place like New York where we're around people all the time and we're making a conscious decision not to connect with each person because mm -hmm. it could just be too much or who knows what that person's motive might be right. once they realize you're aware of them or something like exactly. that. So it's almost like a defense mechanism, but yeah. it doesn't help us to connect with one another, especially when we're trying to perform. And I guess the irony is we all come to New York for performance and it, the city and the way it's set up actively makes it yeah. harder <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to do that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's just like, let's break through that somehow. And I guess it's just being willing to go there and mm -hmm. sit with it for a little bit. And that's, that's part of what you're saying. Totally. Yeah. I love that image of, of Stephen Colbert, like, wa like, you know, like Doing walking strangely. Yeah. Um, I, th I mean, I think I did a lot of stuff like that 
and still continue to mm-hmm. do it. And it, and sometimes it becomes, I'm less aware of it, that I just really love that feeling mm-hmm. of like, how can we find a new way to move right now? Yeah. It, the hardest place to do that is definitely New York City subways because <laughs> everyone has somewhere where they're trying to go. Right. And it's like, I don't have time to like mess around. Right. Um, but I think though that, yeah, th- those feelings of like, I'm going to open up this moment right now by like being a little bit unfamiliar with the right. way that life is and feels by, by sort of like breaking an expectation. Mm-hmm. Obviously if it's too big of a break, it's can be like really upsetting to people, but like small things I think help us small versions of that help mm-hmm. us to, I think baby steps, baby steps help mm-hmm. us to like, um, reacquaint ourselves with what it means to be alive like when our routine changes a little bit it's like oh now i'm actually witnessing the world right um and i actually you said you you had said like oh i'm sure you haven't taken a like a new class in a while Mm -hmm. i actually love to do that Um, oh yeah i loved i've taken like level one at the magnet so many 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 (laughs) times i love to big sib or even if i'm not about it i did see a showcase being promoted on facebook and this was like, I don't know, November, December or something. Like, it wasn't that long ago. And you were in the picture. And I was like, was he the big sib for the class? And then someone told us, I knew someone else who was in the class. And are like, no, it was so-and-so. And I was yeah. like, why was Charlie in the level two class or whatever it was? And so it's for this reason, just to, like, keep getting connected and, and recharge the batteries i guess so to speak yeah i think is that's really really um, important to come back to that feeling of all of this being new and you can sort Uh, of get that from retaking a level one or like level two like you mentioned class with people because now we're like back at the moment when it's all really exciting again and Mm -hmm. we're like taking that first risky step towards you know being a little bit more vulnerable or um, being silly, you know, for, for students who maybe come from a very right. like strict or like regimented workplace or something, just like really relaxing. And I, and I love that feeling of being together with a group where everyone is, is doing that is like, yeah. Oh yeah, I'm going to take a, a little bit of a chance today. So I love those early level classes. I don't have, um, enough time to take them as much right. as I would like to, but I do. I love to do that. That's really, really cool that you're doing that. And, um, I, again, it goes back to you've had this condensed, like you've condensed in a way, like all these varying experiences that really are heightened performing and uh, or performance and, and learning about performance specifically into a, a space. Because if you're on three house teams and you also have been uh, taking a class, um, you're learning from all these different perspectives that you, for most people, they're only doing one of those they're only learning in one of those ways they're either in classes or they're on a house team but that you're having this varied experience is really broadening a lot of things for you and keeping you sharp in a lot of different ways i hope so yeah i do i mean i hope so i've had i mean one as i started taking classes and Mm -hmm. i was like how do i get better at this i said you know like to lewis Mm cornfeld how do you just improve Mm -hmm. and the advice from a lot of teachers is to just do it as much as you can Mm -hmm. but then like the second piece of advice that i got like later on was like sometimes you can do it too much and you sort of are drained and then you don't have as much like inspiration or energy for this and that can be that can take away from like the joy and the fun of it. And I'm not, I don't think I'm at that place yet where I feel like completely drained of it, Mm -hmm. but, um, 
I, I hope it, that it's not a, a detriment. Yeah. Um, it is, and I and I have experienced this of I've spread myself too thin. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but I think it's I think part of the reason you're not experiencing that with improv is because so much of it is a learning experience for you. Yeah. And um, or just the experience of being present. As yeah. Well. Yeah, that's more important, I think, than, than you know, than uh, than anything else. Right. Is that, is that is it's almost like a. Uh, well, here's another piece of my history: is that my uh, my dad's family uh, is Quaker. Mm-hmm. So uh, as a kid, whenever I would visit my dad, my parents were separated, but my dad and my stepmother would take us to Quaker meeting, and I th- mm-hmm. and I see a lot of similarities with Quaker meeting and improv because it really is about mm-hmm. taking that time away from regular life mm-hmm. to be present and be together. And then mm-hmm. at the end of a Quaker meeting, I don't know if you've ever been, no. at the end of the meeting, you've sat in silence usually for at least half an hour, maybe like 45 yeah. minutes. With a bunch of people in the room. Mm-hmm, yeah, and, oh, uh, wow. the meeting house we meeting houses we would go to would be in like a circle with multiple rows. And then at the end, anyone can stand up and just sort of share what they think or believe. Wow. So it's like uh, the idea of the idea that Quakers have is that uh, you don't have one priest who is speaking the word of God to a congregation. Instead, mm-hmm. every person is witness to the way that like life mm-hmm. and and their religion and their spirituality are like constantly present for all of us, and we share that with each other back and yeah. forth. So it's like a meditative version, almost not necessarily meditative may not be the right word, but. Uh, a mindfulness exercise of a uh, Bible study or something like that. Because <laughs> like, yeah. cause, like, people read and then they share their own idea, but um, or not their own idea, but what their well, yeah. thoughts were about what they read, about the same reading they all had. But this is a shared experience that's individualized mm-hmm. of being in your mind and then sharing that with everybody. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah, and That's, some people in, in meeting, you know, would say, like, I was reading the Bible and this came up for me. Mm-hmm. These words spoke to me anew. Other people would get up and sing, just, like, sing wow, a not okay. really, like, any, like, a, you know, just sing a song mm-hmm. by, like, the Dixie Chicks. Or, uh, <laughs> you know, someone would get up and say, like, I was feeding the birds this morning and it was just really mm-hmm. beautiful. So you're getting sort of, like, a, 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 a just, like, stimulation of, like, what people are mm-hmm. inspired by. Mm-hmm. in that meeting place. And so I, I think of that when I'm in an improv setting mm-hmm. because it is people are sort of like, what's what's the, what's that, what's sort of tingling in my mm-hmm. brain right now? What do I want to put out into this room or mm-hmm. onto this stage to share with this audience? That like inspiration that's there. It's just like, okay, I'll share the first idea that I have. Mm-hmm. And then the job of the rest of the team is to make that idea look great. Even if it was right, even if at first it's like yeah. that's the dumbest idea ever, make it look really cool, and then it is really cool. It is really great. And smart. It is really yeah. I I still love this idea of like being in a room full of people or several people together, though. Not like being on a train or right. something where we're yes, we're together, but we're not consciously together. Uh, we're not trying to be with the other people on the subway train. But you know the the Quaker meeting. That's got to be really something that connects people in such a deep way to like consciously be together in the same room, but be silent and have yeah. your own individual experience and then to share that. Yeah. Like that, I think, really speaks to something else um, about you as a person and as a performer. And, and 
I bring, I put those two together, um, performance and as a person, because you perform as the true person you are. Um, like you're playing a character, but who you are deep down, who you are as a person comes out when you're on stage. And, and I think a lot of people block that ability. But I think just you being able to connect with your surroundings helps you to just be you. Yeah. I mean, I hope so. That's, that's definitely mm-hmm. a goal is the, the more I work at this and practice at this, the more I can really bring myself out Mm-hmm. Or, you know, like aspects of myself out through those characters on stage. Um, yeah, I was talking about this with a group this weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, about that idea of sort of relaxing all those barriers that we have that make us nervous, scared, angry, shy, um, or even make us want to keep parts of ourselves a secret. Um, just relaxing those as much as possible to be right. really true and really present right. in improv. Because then... Right. Because then it's just as good if it's funny as if it's real. Yeah. You see someone like really going through something on stage or or really um, tackling something. Mm -hmm. That's theater. That's like you're watching a performance there. And then maybe we come back to a moment that, again, brings back the Mm -hmm. funny ideas of the show because it is comedy. It's framed in a comedy theater. Right. But it's made so. It's made so. It, the the experience of watching that or being part of it is so much stronger when you have mm-hmm. truth in it. When you have, yeah, um, uh, yeah just it's it's like uh, adding another leg to a stool, mm-hmm. right? We, we come for just for comedy and we come for for entertainment. Mm-hmm. But then we, when we can also have a little bit of like emotional learning going mm-hmm. on in our show, yeah. I think that is. All for the all for the better, and I feel like that's a big philosophy at Magnet. You know, like whether I'm in a class with Lewis Kornfeld or like where he's teaching, or whether Peter McNerney's teaching it, whoever. Like those are two teachers I've had. Ilana's the same way. Rick's the same. Like it's it's about like being real and true in the moment, which obviously takes a lot of vulnerability on stage, which we talked about with just like getting past your fear and getting allowing yourself to feel that awkward thing just so you can continue to move forward and I think that's speaking to getting over fears and a lot of times when people talk about vulnerability and especially when I hear about it in improv people take it to mean well I'm sad so I'm just gonna be sad in this scene it's like yes but what's going on in the moment right now like you view yourself as a sad person for whatever reason and I'm not saying that can't be a part of you or or what you put on stage but get even deeper like who are you as a person in this moment and how is it affecting you like that's being vulnerable vulnerable enough to actually authentically show emotion yeah and if you are sad mm-hmm. right if you, the improviser is sad and then the character is sad if you are really open in that scene right you can find some you can if you really are open with that sadness you might be able mm-hmm. to find some release or mm-hmm. a, like a pivot with that with that mm-hmm. character that can mm-hmm. then sort of teach you as a person like oh yeah i don't have to be sad all the time right this character can Mm-hmm. If a scene partner then can somehow lift the character up, then the improviser right. behind can follow a little bit, maybe right. and, and have that lesson. Yeah, and also it's a matter sometimes of 
I may be having a tough day and I'm sad about something, but this moment doesn't call for what I'm experiencing because of my day. Oh, yeah. You know, like, because that could be like a superficial thing of people like, Mm -hmm. well, I'll be vulnerable because because I'm sad. I'll just do a fake version of sad. And that's still inauthentic, you know. And so sometimes being vulnerable is, yes, this is the day I'm having, but I'm going to open myself up enough to genuinely portray other emotions because those other emotions might be what the scene calls for. And I, yeah, I think they will be stronger, right? If you're having mm-hmm. a really rough day, yeah. I'm really broken open right now. Like I'm going through a breakup or, mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah, like if I've had, I've just gotten some sad news from my family or something mm-hmm. like that. I think you are primed, I think, to be a little bit more sort of ferocious about the way that you experience emotions. Mm -hmm. So even if you're not bringing that same, uh, those tears on stage and being a sad character, if you Mm -hmm. are like joyful, I think that joy will be a lot more layered or something layered or could just be very strong because it's it's coming from a place of an emotional well. Yeah. (laughs) If you allow yourself to be really happy, like great now I am. Right. Right. And it's like, Mm -hmm. It's, it's huge. There is something interesting, like if I'm depressed and I'm genuinely portraying joy, there is this sort of uh, extra drive behind portraying yeah, exactly it. Because what I'm talking it's about, like, yeah. this is what I want right now. This yeah. is what I desperately want right now. Um, yeah. I guess this is a weird example to give, but I was thinking of uh, Melissa Etheridge's song, Come to My Window, a few days song. ago. Yeah. Such a great song. And it's such a great vocal performance. And some people hear that because of like American Idol and the voice and they just think like the technicality of a vocal performance. Like, is it in key enough or whatever? Which who cares? I don't, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the emotion that she puts behind yeah. it. And I don't think anyone else can do that song with the same emotion because at that moment for a lesbian to step forward and say, I'm singing about a woman yeah. in this song is a huge moment. So it was beyond just expressing emotion. Like anyone can sing that song and express the emotion of the lyrics. But there's this other thing driving her yeah. in delivering that song that's so powerful. And you can't get that unless you're just so wide open and true to everything. Yeah. You know, beyond the dialogue or the lyrics or, you know, yes ending your scene partner. There's so much more that can be going on in our performances, and sometimes we block ourselves off from doing it because we're either too afraid to do it, or we aren't—we we just can't be vulnerable enough right now to allow to get us to get affected like that. But I think that sort of approach to improv—it's how improv can make people a better person. Yeah, because you're essentially saying, "I'm not going to be so caught up in my own stuff." that's going on in my day right now or my life right now that I won't allow myself to connect with another person in a true, authentic way. Yeah, and it's difficult, right? Because Very. our lives can make us want to shield mm-hmm. or, or diminish yeah. what we're sharing. But if you bring everything that you've got and sort of lay it out, that allows you to be really present. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, if you're... This is another maybe weird example, but if I'm like walking, just like here when I was trying to come here and uh, I was walking along and I'm carrying this stuff and it's wet out and everything and somebody 
could have just gotten out of the way, but they weren't being super aware. And in my mind, I'm like, come on, guy, get out of the way. Yeah. But like he's having a day, too. Like, why can't I drop my stuff of like it being wet out and I'm carrying all this (laughs) stuff? Why don't I drop all that? Because that's just like connecting to being focused on myself and not other people and not being mindful of what else is going on. And just like be there for that person. And though that's not those variables are not the same in an improv scene, granted. But what I'm connecting to is when I'm on stage and I got my stuff that I'm going through and someone else comes up with an idea in a scene, I might be too scared to do it because of the stuff that I have going on. And the best thing I can do is really be there and be present and connect with that person in their idea. Yeah. But that takes so much of just dropping whatever my own stuff is. You yeah. know what I mean? And like, if you practice that a lot on stage, then when you're walking down the street and someone does something that maybe they shouldn't do, yeah. you might be able to say, like, but they might be having a really tough day too. So I'm just going to connect with them and try to help them. Yeah. You know, like it's a good, it's, it's like one of the things that I'd never hear people really talk about, about how improv can be a good thing for you. But that's like a deeper thing than the soft skills of improv of just like listening. Right. <laughs> you know, like, or, or it's like, like this, it's like the capital L listening of listening. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Like, of like, I'm yeah. seeing what you're going through and I'm going to address that as opposed to putting my own thing in, in out there. Yeah, I mean, that's always a part of our lives, whether we're on or off stage. It's I'm going to hear what you're actually saying and I'm going to be there for you as opposed to like the improv example would be uh, you have an idea, but I just want to get my idea out. Mm. Like that's not being a good person in the real world that plays out like I don't care about what you're going through. I have this stuff that I'm going through that I want to deal with. And I think practicing letting your ego move somewhere else for a little bit can help us connect with people and be there for people better. Yeah. I mean, it's that's the goal. I mean, yeah. it's so hard sometimes. It's incredibly hard. Yeah. That is That position also puts us at the position to be hurt, or if we mm-hmm. have been hurt in the past, mm-hmm. that's a reminder of like, oh, well, I, I let my guard down and was, you know, tra- steamrolled. Yeah. And, oh, um, yeah. but... You know, the only way to continue to move on past that, to be successful, to be really happy, open, and joyful is to, like, I'm not a very religious person, but, uh, like, turn the other cheek. It's, oh, right, yeah. You know, like, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. because it might not, you might not get a slap this time. You might get something yeah. else. And that's yeah. that's sort of like what I was talking about before. Mm-hmm. Making yourself or your group or your team experience the world in a little bit of an uncomfortable way mm-hmm. exposes you to something uncertain right or you don't know if you'll get that slap again or if you'll get a right. kiss and that's exciting right. that's that's the excitement that comes from yeah. like yeah and the danger quote unquote of of comedy or improv like when say like having danger on stage it's it is that i don't know what this person's going to do next but we're here for it and i'm just going to go along with it yeah like that's it's because the danger is just in your pride maybe or just like an emotional aspect of it but but yeah that's that's essentially what i think it is um that that's that's a good nugget in there um you have a very artistic approach to all of this 
um, and which I really appreciate. And one of the things that I noticed was in our email exchanges to set this up was you have a quote from the actor and playwright. Uh, he's a he's a multi hyphenate Taylor Mac, mm-hmm. which is let me get it right. Um, I just want to quote it correctly. I believe authentic failure on stage is one of the great art forms. Uh, really great quote. I love that. What about that quote speaks to you? Like what, what makes it resonate with you so much? Oh, always something different. I saw, um, I saw Taylor Mac uses the gender pronoun Judy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I saw Judy perform uh, at a Christmas show this past winter. Mm-hmm. It was incredible. It was phenomenal. It was, uh, it was just resting. It was, um, a, a, a sort of a blend of Christmas music reinterpret, reinterpreted with costumes and audience participation. Um, it was at uh, Town Hall, I think mm-hmm. is the name of the venue in New York City. Um, and that was the first time that I had seen Judy mm-hmm. perform. And I was uh, sort of knocked off my seat. And I was like, this person is so incredible. Um, so then I l- sort of looked up um, some of, of Taylor Mac's writing or, or thoughts about theater and that quote stuck out to me because uh, it gives it gives the performer permission to, to leave everything on stage mm-hmm. to come in with everything and mm-hmm. the expectation of walking away successful can mm-hmm. also be left there it's like right. just bring what you have and like try as hard as you can to do whatever it is that's going on mm-hmm. on stage worst thing that happens is that you fail and it doesn't matter if you fail because that failure is is theater. It is entertaining mm-hmm. and it is interesting and funny and beautiful and sad to watch. And mm-hmm. all those things happen when you just try as hard as you can to get somewhere. It doesn't really matter if you get there or not. Mm-hmm. Um, so I loved I loved that. Um, I think when it comes to any theater scene or or an improv, working really hard at something and not giving up. Um, even if you're, I mean, just wanting something or like working for it brings scenes to life. Mm -hmm. Um, and when you fail, when a character, you know, wants, wants to learn how to drive and crashes their car, Uh that's the story and it's a failure, but it is, um, it's real and that has happened to people and it's so frustrating and it is a success because you have told the story, but it's been a failure on stage yeah the reaching for something is what's exciting yeah one of the most exciting things in a football game is when a quarterback just throws a long ball like a Hail Mary pass or something like that and the player extends their hands to get it and they're just inches from catching the ball there is such a huge build-up and then such an exhale in those moments yeah, and um, and they're like though they're disappointing if you wanted them to catch the ball and score a touchdown and win the game and they end up losing the game and so you're mad maybe about that but that was an exciting moment and when someone's on stage if they're failing because they're not trying yeah. then that's just rough to watch that's rough. not that's not art <laughs> yeah that's yeah but if they're trying something and you see what they're going for and they're extending to get there and they're just inches away, there's something so magical about that. And there's still, it's like this other thing that happens underneath what was going on in the improv scene or what what have you, right? Um, it's not, and, and I, I don't want anyone to apply like, well, they tried 
really hard to do that Australian accent. Like that's maybe funny, but it's not exciting. <laughs> you know, like but it they will, fail at the accent. Yeah, but it will create some fun stuff in that scene. It's amazing. I mean, that's that that attempt sometimes can mm-hmm. sell it. Mm-hmm. If you're just like, this is what I've got. Yeah, it's fun, maybe funny, but then we can move on as opposed to if the scene becomes all about doing like doing I'm just doing accent. a bad accent right. then we've lost this, this, yeah. what we we're trying to do because the mm-hmm. Australian accent was just a, a tool to get to what the scene was about right right and I think it it creates an energy when people it, it creates this energy in the space and on stage when they see an improviser go really hard for mm-hmm. an accent and then everyone sort of realizes like oh this isn't going well <laughs> this accent isn't going well and there's a laugh but it creates this energy of like that person is willing to just if they go hard in on doing whatever with accent or whatever and they fail at it yeah. when they go hard in on it and try really hard to do it it creates this sort of energy because that person is fearless on stage yeah and that is exciting for an audience to watch that is that fearlessness yeah and you don't have to be super skilled to do that you just have to be super vulnerable to do that and just be really, really committed to going for it and not bailing at all. There is to talk about Colbert again. I don't know if you saw this before he started on Late Show. He, um, I can't remember what <laughs> what little town he went to, but he did a cable access show. In, oh, I think uh, I've heard of this. Yeah. In Michigan. Yeah. And um, <laughs> he interviewed Eminem. Yes. Because he's from Michigan, and it was clear that they were at least to Eminem, that this was going to be something comical, right? Like, he knew um, how goofy this was, right? Like, I'm going to go do this cable access show with this guy, Colbert, who's known for Comedy Central. Like, clearly this is comedy. But he didn't fully know what direction everything was going to go in. And there's this moment where Colbert notices, like, a disagreement between the two, and he says to he like starts to pick a fight with Eminem and he he starts saying like do you want to go do you want to go right now and when he first said it's like clearly sarcastic but then he like went deep in on the emotion of wanting to actually like we need to go outside and and clear the air (laughs) you know like that sort of like let's fight sort of thing but it didn't come across as like when you see that in real life, like on the subway and someone tries to start a fight with somebody, it, it but it did confuse Eminem because he was like, oh, he's joking. Wait a minute. Is he joking? He's joking, right? And he had no idea any of that was happening, but it created this moment of this energy of like, what's going on? Colbert is willing to do anything and go anywhere and has no idea what the next thing is. And he is fully committed to the next thing. And that creates an energy that was so fun. It was like an amazing moment. And that's the sort of place that you want to get, yeah. I imagine. As a, you know, a person who's doing improv really is trying to just be more of that kind of person. So vulnerable, so wide open, so committed to the next thing, even though I have no idea what that next thing is. Yeah, I think sometimes we get into into scenes that are, we there's a right next step. There's mm-hmm. like this is what you should do. Right. This is how we sort of keep it organized. It's like this is where we go from here. We've come this far. Here's where we need to go. But I think the f- most fun is when you're in a place where like yeah anything can really happen or. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel as as narrow as like okay only 
you know, I have to work really hard with my brain to like think up the next step to make sure it's right. Mm-hmm. It feels like when you're in the really right headspace or when you're in the really open headspace, um, you know who your character is, you know what the situation is. Mm-hmm. Anything in this circumstance could happen that would sort of escalate things or be interesting to move forward. Um, and it's not limiting. It's like we're really living that on stage. Mm-hmm. And it's like you were saying, Eminem not knowing <laughs> what's going to happen or, or sort of being uncertain mm-hmm. does bring the situation to life. Yeah. It does feel a little bit more real. We where <laughs> What direction do we go from here? It could go yeah. any way. It feels truthfully um you know unstable right and that instability is 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 real life yeah yeah this is a good time to transition to the end of the show this has been a really great talk i appreciate you going on lovely um so where could we go to create something now for the end of the episode an idea I have, and you may have a better one that I'm fully, and I don't know what it is, but I'm fully committed to it if you, <laughs> you want to do something else. Um, it's just like maybe an exercise or something that a person can do if they want to get more vulnerable. Like what is something they can do to prepare themselves? Is there something like that that we can come up with? Or maybe you already know of uh, an exercise someone can do. To be more vulnerable. I mean, mm-hmm. the thing that I had mentioned before was mm-hmm. just like prolonged eye contact. Okay. Um, as an option. or, or um, What if you're coaching a team and the team said, we want to be more vulnerable with each other? Uh, what is uh, something that we could give them? I mean, I think a great... Um, a great tool for that is monologue hotspot, which you have probably mm. done before, mm-hmm. but just simply like telling stories to each other, mm-hmm. um, sort of being inspired and going back and forth to say, oh, that story, I'm going to interrupt you here with my story. I've got this story to tell. And then mm-hmm. another person interrupts that story to say, I've got another story to tell. Mm-hmm. So you're sort of braiding together these pieces um, or like bits of stories that are not never fully mm-hmm. realized or never fully completed, but they sort of follow a group mind towards you know, new topics and new, um, like areas to discuss. Everyone has lots of stories and that way we learn about each Mm -hmm. other and we get comfortable Mm -hmm. bringing our real self or our real history into the room. And then interweaving with one another with that real self, weaving our, our real self with their real self so that we can be one thing together. Yeah. Of our real selves. Yeah. Yeah. That is something I, I like, I love so many of the teams at Magnet. (laughs) <laughs> like unapologetically this is becoming me, too. me doing a commercial for for magnet but i do genuinely love your team body work and i feel like it's because you how you all connect and jump on board with one another yeah um, from the opening on throughout the show like it's always so fun uh how long have you all been performing together uh, i think it's two years or two mm. and a half years now see to me i would have thought and this is just a testament to a bunch of good performers who have a lot of experience coming together and being open with each other but i mean it wouldn't been if you told me we've been performing together for five years or more i would have believed even though i know that you've been doing you've been here for six years i knew it couldn't be more than that but it's like the way you all play together seems like it's been way longer than two and a half years four of us and when Nikita was on the team, that would make five. Colin mm-hmm. just joined. We're on a team before called Deep Queens. So oh, it was half of the team okay. when it was created was like half of that team. I see. So we did have that 
shared experience already coming into it. Um, And then the cast has rotated a lot. So Mm -hmm. those three of us have been there since the beginning. And then Mm -hmm. Nikita left and Colin came and Colin was also on Deep Queen. So we still have that. So you can keep that nucleus. Half of the team Mm -hmm. is still Deep Queens, you know, but... um, but yeah, I mean, I think th- uh, uh, something that we found, if you've seen our shows, that really helps that sense of um, group mind is that flocking um, introduction or yeah. intro that we do for, yeah. and then it comes back throughout the show mm-hmm. where it's like, uh, we call it the flock doc because it's a uh, direct address to the audience where we're mm-hmm. playing one one character mm-hmm. usually, but the whole team sort of It's a beautiful mutates, thing to see. Yeah, mutates or like uh, yeah. sort of... Plays the character on top of each other and yeah. chimes in at the same time. It's um, hard to explain because I, but because I've seen it, I know exactly yeah. what it is. But like, it's like a, a swarm of one character right. mind with lots of people. It's a great stage picture. So there's that that's exciting about seeing it. But then also the way you all play it and how you just weave together. And that's you exactly know. what it did because the team was looking for a, an opening like that mm-hmm. and. There's so many different options, and that mm-hmm. has turned out to be the only one that we could agree on, and the only one that we could keep. Because mm-hmm. there are there are many different t- like players on the team, but mm-hmm. everyone's looking for a different thing mm-hmm. and, and performs in a different way. So mm-hmm. that has turned out to be the the tool that has sort of kept our shows. I don't know, kept us together in shows. And we we do intermittently talk about like changing up our our form and, and moving mm-hmm. on from this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for the past you know, year and a half that we've been doing it, it has been a really great way to boom, start the show together and then connect and reconnect throughout the show by, by coming back to those moments. Well, it's been great talking to you and great seeing you perform and and great to learn more about your process when you perform because you're one of my favorites here. So thanks for meeting with me. Thank you. It was nice to, to talk to you. I really like that you shared about, you know, come to my window. Oh, oh, thanks. I love yeah. that song. Oh, it's such a great song. i got to listen to it now. <laughs> yeah, maybe that'll be the outro music. Ah, yes. Melissa Etheridge, really great song. And great performance. And what people get wrong when they do it on like American Idol or whatever is that they just try to match the vocal stylings, but they don't seem to know the meaning of the song, so they don't put anything behind it, you know? That's why it's always just better to hear Melissa Etheridge do that song. Thank you so much, Charlie, for being on the podcast. I appreciate your time. And if you are going to be in New York, folks, then... Go check him out. He's performing a bunch. The musical team he's on at Magnet, Warm-Blooded, performs every Tuesday. The improv team, Bodywork, performs every Wednesday. The executives, the sketch team he's on, performs every Friday. He's also on the Friday Night Show. And he has uh, the director series, Object Orc. That's coming up this Thursday at 10.15. And he's doing a ton. So you can go to magnettheater.com and you can find out where he specifically is performing. You can also check out Magnet Stuff at Magnet Theater on Twitter and Facebook. Definitely give them a like and a follow. And you can follow us, too, here at the podcast. There it is, pod. 
on both Facebook and Twitter. I'm on Twitter at Jason Farr Jokes, and you can find me on Instagram at Jason Farr Picks. Well, that's this week's episode. Next week, hope to have that Lindsay Cat homework for you and a fun episode. Until next time, be good to each other. The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr. 